You're listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message at 11 a.m. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. To learn more, visit mtcarmeldemarest.com or facebook.com forward slash mtcarmeldemarest. Thanks for listening. Romans chapter 1, verses 8 through 15. And as I mentioned before, this is part 2 of our series through Romans chapter 1. And I've entitled it, Why Come to Church? Why are you here? Some of you are already wondering, why am I here? (laughs) I could be doing so much else. It's easy to dismiss going to church. Church hurt can be some of the worst hurt. I've been hurt quite a number of times because of church. Church can be judgmental, nitpicky, especially if you're the pastor, shaming, hypocritical, overwhelming. Church can be lonely. And even worse, the church can be unloving. It's easier to say, as many do, I can be a Christian without going to church. Or, and this is what you'll hear a lot from my generation, I love Jesus, but not the church. A 2017 report by Barna showed that Christians who say that their faith is important to them, but haven't attended church in six months or more, now make up one out of every 10 Americans. 10% of Americans say they're Christians, their faith is important to them, but they haven't darkened the door of the local church in six months or more. And I go back to the question, why come to church? Some say it's to draw closer to God, to worship Him, but... To be frank, honest, and transparent with you, biblically, anyone can worship Jesus anywhere and at any time. You don't need a special building or a special day or a special time to worship Jesus. You don't come into the presence of God when you you enter in through those doors and you don't leave the presence of God when you exit them. Some of you are saying, so can we go ahead and leave? (laughs) Why come to church? In today's Bible passage, news of a faithful little church made up of Jewish and Gentile Christians in Rome was exciting news to Christians scattered across the Roman Empire. You say, why would the church at large be ecstatic over a little church in Rome? You have to remember, back at that time, Rome was the capital of the world. Today in America, it would be uh, akin to saying, there's a vibrant church in New York City, right? All roads led to Rome, which meant this. The gospel could go from Rome, where? Into all the world. So the church is ecstatic 
that there's an outpost of the kingdom in the center of the world. Which brings us to an important question. And if you missed last week's sermon, I'm not tooting my horn. I'm saying go listen to it so you have the context so you can appreciate uh, this passage even more. But it's amazing that the apostle to the Gentiles, Paul, had never visited this Roman church. Imagine, it's your responsibility to go preach to the Gentiles, to plant and establish churches to the Gentiles, to preside over those churches. And this one church that is making news across the world, that one apostle who's supposed to look out for them, never been there. Did he not care about the Roman church? Let's read Romans chapter 1, just verses 8 through 10. Here's his response. First, and he means like, first of all, my point number one. (laughs) I thank my God through Jesus Christ for y'all. That's the Greek word. For y'all. I'm going to start translating it. I'm just going to let you know. I'm going to do it. Because the news of y'all's faith is being reported In all the world, God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in telling the good news about His Son. We talked about that last week. That I constantly mention y'all. Always asking in my prayers that if it is somehow in God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to (laughs) y'all. As shown in his prayer of thanksgiving to God for the Roman church, Paul was not apathetic. He sincerely longed to come to the Roman church as soon as possible. So why hadn't he? Drop down to verse 13 and we're going to look at just the first half. He tells us, now I don't want you to be unaware. (laughs) This is a good preacher going, please can I tell you the reason why? (laughs) I don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I often planned to come to y'all, but was prevented until now. Paul explains that it was not from a lack of desire to go to the Roman church. He was, what does it say here? Prevented or hindered. He wasn't able to go. And that could refer to a number of things. It could refer to satanic or demonic forces that were hindering his ability to go. But most likely it refers to pastoral ministry. Paul is writing the Roman letter while he is at the church in Corinth. Now you don't have to necessarily be a Bible student to know this, but if you've ever took a glimpse of our 1st and 2nd Corinthians... The Corinthian church had tons of issues. And guess what that meant for Paul? Tons of pastoral ministry. He's trying to sort out all the issues in the Corinthian church. He's like, and once I get this church straight, I'm headed to you. I'm trying to put out the fires here. Then as soon as I do, I'm coming to your church. Now, let's pause a minute. Paul. May I remind you of Paul's journey to go to Rome. 
what it entailed when he finally was liberated and no longer prevented from going. How was his route to get to the Roman church? It is detailed in Acts 26, 27, and 28. I'm not going to read all of it. I'm going to give you my synopsis of those three chapters. But Acts 26, 27, and 28. You ready for how he gets to Rome? First, Paul was taken as a prisoner for his Christian stance. So he's in cuffs, so to speak. As a Roman citizen, Paul appealed to Caesar, the emperor of Rome, for his hearing about his Christian faith. They took Paul and they put him on a ship. While he is sailing across the Mediterranean, a violent storm broke out, battered, and beat up the ship. After being stranded for two weeks at sea with no food or water, Paul makes it to the shore of Malta. There, while he's gathering a bundle of wood for a fire, does anybody know what happens? He is snake bit. Church, if there ever was a sign for me not to go to church, it would be being snake bit. And you know what Paul did? He shook it off and he went to church. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, how was your journey to Mount Carmel this morning? Anybody want to try to outdo Paul here? This is your chance. Stand up and testify. Shipwrecked. <laughs> Lost at sea for two weeks. Hadn't ate a thing, and when you finally make it to land, bit by a snake, I'd have went home. Some of y'all are like, y'all don't know my kids trying to get them in a car. <laughs> but I really do mean this, and I'm not trying to guilt you, but isn't it amazing the excuses we can come up with? If there's an excuse and we need it, and by the way, hey, if it's just an excuse, just go ahead and tell me the truth. Bro, I wanted to golf today. That's okay. I understand. Don't lie. So let's get to the crux of the matter. Why come to church? Why did Paul go all that way to go to this little Roman church? Look at verse 11. Romans chapter 1 verse 11. For I want very much to see y'all, so that I may impart to y'all some spiritual gift to strengthen y'all. Did you notice that? I very much want to see you, to impart some spiritual gift to strengthen you. Then drop down to 13. We read the first half a moment ago. Let's read the second half. After the prevented part, he says, In order that I might have a fruitful ministry among y'all, just as I have had among the rest of the Gentiles. The very first thing I want you to write down in your notes and in your Bible app, for the reason why Paul wanted to go to the Roman church, Paul, number one, Paul wants to give encouragement. He wants to give encouragement. There's three things in those verses that I want you to notice. He first says he wants to impart some spiritual gift. Spiritual gift. Now, Paul had many spiritual gifts for ministry. 
It included his apostleship. He had an amazing teaching ability. He worked miracles. He spoke in tongues. And the list goes on. This was a man who lived in the miraculous. But that's not exactly what he means here. He's not saying, I'm going to your church to show off. I want to give you something. The idea is more of the umbrella term I want to impart to you some, quote, spiritual good, or as we say in the South, it sure was a blessing to be at church. He says, I want to come and see you so that I can be a blessing to you. The second word he says here is he wants to strengthen them. And that means he wants to establish them in the faith in the doctrines, in the content of the faith, in their own personal faith. He wants to firm them up. He wants to cause them to stand on solid ground and sound doctrine so that they will not be tempted to forsake their Lord and fall away from the faith. He wants to strengthen them in their faith. And then in the last half of 13, he says he wants some fruit. Now, he's not talking about literal fruit. This is metaphorical fruit. And the idea, we find him mentioning the word fruit in Philippians 1, 22. Just write the reference down. Philippians chapter 1, verse 22. Paul uses the same word fruit about the ongoing fruitful work he will have among the Philippian church if his life is spared. This is not the first time poor Paul has been on trial. He says, if I'm spared, I'll have fruit among you. And then he goes on in Philippians 1.22 to detail what he means by fruit. And it's one of my favorite verses. He wants to advance the faith and joy of the Philippian church. He says, when I get to Rome, here's the whole point. My objective, I want to be a blessing to you. I want to encourage you, I want to strengthen you, and I want your faith and joy to advance. That's my objective into getting to your church. But that's not all. Look at Romans chapter 1 verse 12. That is, he qualifies it. Notice that he said, well, 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 before, before you just stop there, I, I got something else to say. That is, to be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both y'all's and mine. What do you do here? It's a two-way street, Roman church. I want to come and give you encouragement. And here's the second thing. Number two, Paul wants to get encouragement. He wants to get encouragement. Paul anticipated that as he strengthened, as he blessed, as he advanced the joy and faith of the Roman church, that Paul's own personal faith would be encouraged as well. Paul is stressing that he absolutely expects them to encourage him. That is, you'll encourage me too. Now, here's what I find interesting. We know from 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that every believer, listen, Mount Carmel, including you who believe in Jesus Christ, 
You have received a spiritual gift, a manifestation, a demonstration, an activity, an energy from the Holy Spirit for the common good of the church, for the enlargement of the church and the enrichment of the church. You have that as well, just as the Romans did who believed. In fact, if you go and look in Romans 15, 14, write the reference down, Romans 15, 14, here's what the Apostle Paul had learned about the Roman church. He said, my brothers and sisters, I myself am convinced about y'all that y'all also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. Check this out. Paul is saying, I have something to learn from you. Now, in case you don't get the gravity of that, may I remind you who Paul was. Before Paul came to know Jesus as his Lord and Savior, Paul was a religious fanatic. He went to synagogue every week. He never missed it. He knew the Old Testament scriptures like the back of his hand. Then, after Jesus' resurrection, Jesus physically appeared to Paul. Jesus spoke with Paul. Paul wrote scripture. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, he wrote down God's word. And Jesus gave Paul authority to dictate what goes on in every church. That man that I just told you about says this, I need the church. Did you catch what I just said? Imagine, I know less mature spiritual Christians. None of us have Paul's pedigree, and I'll hear Christians all the time, I don't need the church. I've got Jesus. Jesus is enough for me. You apparently haven't read about our Jesus because Jesus says you need the church. And if Paul needs the church, and Jesus tells you you need the church, you really are more spiritual than they? We all need the church. Every single one of us. So let's add this up. Why do we come to church? Here's the big answer. Write it down. We come to give and get encouragement. Did you see the mutuality in it though? We come to give and... I can wait on you, church, because this is the mutuality. We come to give and get encouragement both and it is not a one-way street write this down this is a much larger explanation than the succinct one I just gave you but church is gathering to worship Jesus I mentioned this at the beginning of my sermon where can you worship Jesus anywhere right when can you worship Jesus when can you worship with the church right here right now that's the difference. We have gathered together, gathered to worship. I hope you worship Jesus more than just when we gather. But I'll tell you, it stirs my soul to hear the saints sing and worship to Jesus. Church is gathering to worship Jesus and to give and get spiritual encouragement. Give and get 
spiritual encouragement. Some people are like a desert. They have no water. Some people are like a swamp, constantly poured into, but nothing ever comes out or flows out. And some people are like a mighty river, constantly poured into, and constantly what? Pouring out. True Christians are mighty rivers. We've got too many Christians that are a swamp. They come and they get, 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 and they never give. And I'm not talking about finance. I'm saying spiritual encouragement to other believers. Can we just imagine something for a moment? Imagine what difference it would make if you, you and y'all, came to church consciously seeking to encourage others and allowing the faith, words, and actions of others to encourage you. Both and. What if every time I'm coming to church to gather with the saints to worship Jesus, but I'm also going to be intentional about spiritually encouraging others and positioning myself so that I might receive spiritual encouragement from others? So what? How do we do this? I read this from Carl Vader's this week, and I love the ideas, the many... Uh, facets of application that comes out of this. How can we make sure we're giving and getting spiritual encouragement? So what? Write this down. Engage all five senses. When you come to church, engage all five senses. Here's what we know. When we engage all five senses, we are more involved we learn more, we enjoy more, we contribute more, and we remember more. Now, every single one of you, by virtue of your presence right here, right now, you're knocking out two of the five senses, sight and what? Sound. But can I go one step further? And I do. I, I'm not trying to just uh, treat you and patronize you, but I am thankful that you have come to gather and hear the preaching of the Word of God. But let's take it one step further. All right? If all you did in that, this capacity of sight and sound was just to receive a message from me, are you doing mutual encouragement? No. Right? At some point, something has to flow out. So I want you to do some things. I'm going to just list a couple of things. Write down the things that impact you. Write down the things that you might try before you leave this place or the next week you come. For me, and I know I need to work on this, I'm a talker. I don't know if you realize that. So for me, it's this. Listening to others about God's faithfulness in times of trouble. Let me tell you what a wonderful environment to do that is. Go to Sunday school. One of my favorite things about Sunday school is sitting back and hearing God's sovereign faithfulness in the life of another believer, that encourages me by sitting and listening. But here's what that also means. Some of you who are not like me, your disposition is different. You come to church and it's like, man, I'm not going to talk for the next two hours that I'm here. 
tell. If there's questions asked of you about God's faithfulness in your life, speak up, share. Who knows how your story might spiritually encourage the brother or sister that is just struggling to get by. Your story could literally change their life. I'm going to go ahead and, and do another thing. When we fellowship, share and ask spiritual questions. I know how this works. I know how church works. We generally like to start with public questions. What do I mean by that? How's your family? How's your job? Things busy? Your kids okay? We go about that. Heaven forbid we actually come to church and be like, how's your walk with the Lord? Is there anything I can pray for you about? Church, if we can't come to church and talk about spiritual things, we, I'm sorry, we've done you a disservice. Find another church. Matter of fact, when you find one, tell me I'd like to go. It's okay. If, if the game is talked about more than the spiritual things at church, we have an issue. We can talk about the game anytime. This is dedicated for spiritual encouragement, right? So don't be afraid. Hey, ask somebody. It's okay. You're in an environment where you're supposed to ask people, can I pray for you? Share with me what's going on. This is what this, this we exist for that purpose. Can I do, this is my favorite one. I, I thought about this and I know this is going to make some of you cringe and I'm happy about it. Share a hymn book with somebody. You say, do what? Have you heard me saying? That's the point. I haven't. Get up and just go like, yo, me and you, we're going to just, just tear this song apart together, right? We're going to do it. But you know what? What you might really be doing is like it talks about in Colossians. You're singing to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace and melody in your hearts to the Lord. Because you know what? It matters. You're, you're not an American idol. You're not going to win any kind of Grammy because of how you sung your hymn book but it just might encourage that brother or sister beside you. They might even get a good laugh out of it. That's okay. <laughs> it's okay. Here's the other thing. Sight, sound, touch. Now, I've got to be careful with this. I understand how this can be abused. This is a Josh Taylor rule. I'm not trying to be hypocritical or pharisaical. And I try my best on the first part. I definitely do the last. Arrive early and stay late. And here's what happens. If you sneak in at 11.05, and by the time I say amen, you're hitting that door, that means you're not engaging with any Christian. And so one of the rules in my family, what we've done is we try, if you'll notice, we try to always stay late after church. You say, why? You ain't got nothing better to do? No, man, the saints play today. I got stuff to do. What are we doing though? We want to make space and time so that if you have questions, comments, rude remarks, prayer requests, an appointment is set up, there's times where we can engage one another. Arrive early, stay a little late. Here's the other thing, though. Shake hands. Give side hugs, right? A lot of people are like, don't you straight up hug me like that. Side hug them then. And here's the reason why I still want to encourage some type of physical touch in the church for two things. If we refuse to just shake somebody's hand, then let's, hey, I can pipe my preaching into all your homes. I can do it from my bedroom. One of the reasons we've gathered together is to look people eye to eye and tell them, I love you. 
shake their hand. And here's the part that I've realized the more I've pastored. Some folks look to this hour every week because it's the only week, somebody's, only hour in the whole week someone's going to look them face to face, speak to them, maybe shake their hand or give them a hug. This hour. All right? Now, I ain't talking about some love fest. Good night, they'll come after me. Use wisdom and discretion. But go and shake somebody's hand. Let me tell you another one. Let me give you, I'm just giving you ideas. I know this is going to make a Baptist church mad, but it's going to be great if it ever happens. Switch seats up one day. Just did this initiative on one Sunday. He picked it out a month out. We may just have to do this. He said this. He says, I, I don't want us to get into the humdrum routine of church. He says, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to choose a different parking spot, choose a different seat, sing with somebody you ain't ever sung with, right? Just to just try something new, meet new people, engage people you've never met. And I never will forget, he ascended the pulpit that morning after he had told us all to do that. He says, I got something to confess to you. We're like, what's up? He says, I pulled right into my pastor parking spot this morning without even thinking about it. Hypocrite. <laughs> he says, I literally got out of my, I came in, sat my stuff down in my office, realized it, ran out, moved my car. <laughs> we get into the same rut. We do. I can tell who's here now. I'm getting here, I'm moving on, on year three. I know your spots. Mess me up one day. Just swap around. And you say, why do that? Because you may bump into somebody you haven't ever talked to. Now, they could be angry with you, but it's still conversation. I know the last two senses have got to be just getting at you. Smell and taste. You're like, my neighbor smells. I'm actually getting it right now. Here's what I want to address. Every fifth Sunday, we have communion. We handle the cup and the bread. Now, as long as it's not really stale, <laughs> it don't smell that at all. <laughs> it's a joke, folks. You're like, you're all selling us some bread. But here's the part I want you to realize. If you go back and look at Acts, and Mount Carmel does a pretty good job about this, they constantly are fellowshipping over what? A meal. A meal. A meal meant solidarity. We stand with one another. And I know there's even today's you're like, Josh, there's a meal today. I didn't even plan it. That was, that's the women. You blame them, not me. All right? Joke again. But what I want you to do is this, and I'm the worst at it. No lie. Sometimes on Wednesday nights when we have fellowship meal, it's like date night for me and Mandy because like everybody else was watching the kids. <laughs> so we get to talk. But when you go down to that fellowship hall to share a meal, hey, go sit with somebody you ain't ever sat with. And I know it's going to be awkward at first. I get it. But that's what it takes to find that source of mutual encouragement. Let's read Romans 14. He says this. I am obligated both to Greeks and barbarians. This is not going to, you may not like what I'm about to say. You and I are obligated to share the gospel and spiritually encourage one, encourage one another. Some of you ask, well, when did I become the debtor? When did I get the obligation? And here's how this works, like how preacher John Stott puts it. All right? I can become a debtor if I go and borrow money. Right? 
But there's another way in which I can become a debtor. If Andrew gives me money to give to Caleb, right, I am now indebted to who? Caleb. Is it my money? No, it's Andrew's money. And this is exactly how it's worked with Jesus Christ. Y'all, we can never repay Jesus for all the good he's done for us. So here's what he does. He says this, pay it forward. Literally, I, I want to read this verse to you. Romans, Romans, i got to find it. I just had it earlier. 13.8, ready? Romans 13.8. He says to have no debt with anybody but this, the continuing debt to love one another. Did you notice that? Isn't that interesting? Because here's what happened. Jesus goes, you're never going to repay me. Do not try to repay me. Love them. Love them. You want to love me? Love them. You want to serve me? Share the gospel with them. You want to please me? Spiritually encourage them. We have an obligation to one another, not because I owe you. I'm indebted to Jesus. And Jesus says, pay it forward to them because you ain't going to pay me back. And then look at Romans 1.15, the last verse. He says, so I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Because of his debt he wants to repay, Paul is zealous, he is passionate to get to Rome to share the gospel with them and to spiritually encourage them. Coming to church is not all about us. It's about giving and getting encouragement. A British play called Journey's End about soldiers in World War I was made into a film in 2017. It's a play with several actors and no stars. Each actor, more or less, has the same time on stage. In an interview about the now-past Broadway production of the play, one actor remarked, our director said again and again that everything we do on stage is for someone else. It's never about you, the actor replied. He says, that was such a wonderful thing to think of. Church, if everyone came to church to do something for someone else, we'd all be blessed. We would all be blessed. Thanks for listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. Please join us this Sunday at 11 a.m. To plan your visit, go to mtcarmeldemarest.com.